0: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Maps weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. I have Michael Neff from the Cottonmouth Club coming up in a little bit, but first I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. We follow him on Instagram at thatguyhouston. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive
0: right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Crawfish and Noodles announced that it will open a second location at the Houston Farmer's Market. This is the the expansive uh, produce market on the 610 and uh, an airline that's currently undergoing a a comprehensive series of renovations. Chris uh, Chris Shepard's Underbelly Hospitality is opening a restaurant called Wild Oats there. Uh, It's going to have a green space. It's going to have more parking, better bathrooms. Uh, And now, Viet Cajun food from Chef Trong Nguyen, who's a James Beard Award finalist last year and uh, maybe the most famous Viet Cajun restaurant. It's been on David Chang's show, Ugly Delicious. It's been on Andrew Zamern. So, uh, a, a good get, I would say.
1: I think it's fair to call it an OG. Yes, that's a good description. So uh, I, I agree with your uh, assessment. It is a good get, and uh, I, w- I would say, uh, and, and this is this is what you look for in life. But <laughs> but two word phrase, win win. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I guess maybe talk about kind of how you see that because I think there's there's a a vocal minority that is concerned that these changes are going to permanently alter the character of the market in a negative way, that the the old vendors will be pushed out or displaced and that it will be, you know, sort of more expensive and, and maybe less democratic in a, in a small D kind of sense. Um, but I, I really see this as the kind of addition that anybody should should be pretty supportive of.
1: Well, I uh, I was fortunate to have an opportunity to uh, tour a, a few months back of the market, and and I think they put some time and effort and thought and committed some resources to having the original kind of aesthetic, the original flavor, the original vendors as part of the market. So I think that will still be there, but it's it's not going to be you know the farmers market that I grew up going to with my grandfather and early eighties, mid eighties, whatever it was. So, um, and that's just how it is.
0: Right. Right. I I think that's fair. I think, you know, that market's been around in in some form or fashion for several decades and it has evolved over time and it will continue to evolve. And I think, you know, this, we don't, Houston doesn't really have anything quite like at the, you know, uh, either the Pikes Place Market in Seattle or the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia. Like We don't have that like one place that you can take people that's got produce and seafood and a butcher shop and restaurants and gathering places and uh, that's all kind of oriented around food. And that's, that's certainly the goal of this transformation of the Houston farmers market that a uh, real estate developer named MLB Capital Partners is, is putting together.
1: Sure. And, and I think part of that is it's important that it's well curated and far be it for me to say that crawfish and noodles isn't a step in that direction. So we're, we're always going to have our neighborhood pedantics daddy, as you well know.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. No, I, I think, I think crawfish and noodles is a great step in that direction. I think it, you know, we, we very easily could have seen them bring in some group from out of town to do a more generic seafood restaurant, but instead, you know, they're given an opportunity to a well-established, well-regarded local that was looking to grow and that will be a real showcase for them. I mean, you know, even in it's, it's, you know, the original crawfish and noodles in Chinatown is already a destination. And I could see this becoming something very similar where, you know, people who visit Houston for the first time, maybe they've seen the restaurant on some of these various TV series or they've read about it, and now they can go, they can visit Crawfish and Noodles as part of a more comprehensive kind of food-oriented tourist experience. Correct. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. Lance Fegan is back, the chef that's known for Restaurants like Glasswall, BRC, and Liberty Kitchen is going to open Figgins in the former Liberty Kitchen space on Studewood and 11th Street. This is a, a, a new direction. Uh, Lance has always been kind of known for kind of a seafood-oriented approach, but this will be more classic American fare like steaks and salads mixed in with some Southern Italian-inspired pizzas and pastas. Matt, let me throw it to you. Are you sort of intrigued by the idea of vegans?
1: Oh, absolutely. No doubt. Um, I've been a, a fan of Lance's for a long time, going back to uh, even predating the Glass Wall days uh, at Zula downtown. Um, so uh, it's... Uh, I very much am looking forward to this new iteration.:
0: You know, I, I am too, and I, I had the opportunity to eat with Lance at the Liberty Kitchen Treehouse location, oh, I don't know, let's say three-ish years ago. And he was just he was, this, he was just this like very calm presence. He was living in Galveston at the time. I don't, I don't know whether he still is, but he basically talked about how he was going surfing every day and he was training up this next generation of chefs. And so I, I do think it's interesting. He's never, he's never put his name on one of his restaurants before. And that does imply something about this restaurant being a little bit more personal, you know, a little more intimate. They're kind of going for a, a more upscale vibe and I am, you know, the chef who's, you know, he's been a presence in the Heights for almost 15 years. And and that was back when there really wasn't, there were very, very few restaurants in the Heights. He's sort of seen it turn into a real dining destination. I'm I'm excited to see kind of what he's got as his next, uh, you know, his next sort of statement, like how he sort of stays uh, relevant.
1: Absolutely. Very much so. And, and I think he will. You know, he's talented and this is something that's sort of close to uh, close to his heart, if you will. Um, back in that original space uh, in the heights, not glass wall, but the Liberty Kitchen space. So yeah, very excited. And it'd be good to see Lance again. I'm 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 am I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah, no, I, I admit I haven't, I haven't seen him personally in, in quite some time. but uh, and, and it's worth sort of noting that, you know, Liberty Kitchen was sold last year to Culinary Concepts, the same company that owns State Fair. So, you know, that chapter is sort of closed. Uh, and this, this represents uh, a new beginning for him. I like it. I do too. All right. Topic number three, the original Okra Charity Saloon. Has closed the charity or the uh, the community group that operated the charity saloon. Sold it to its longtime general manager, Mary Ellen Angel, for ten dollars. Uh, Mary Ellen will reopen the bar with a new name in May. Uh, you know, it, this kind of this one kind of got me in the feels a little bit. We've seen several concepts downtown close throughout the pandemic. Uh, I remember when the Okra Charity Saloon opened in the end of 2012 with this really innovative concept that it donated its proceeds to a different charity every month. And that its, its ownership group, which included all kinds of people, you know, the, the folks behind Poison Girl, uh, Bobby Hugel of Anvil, Paul Petronella from Polly's, uh, Brad Moore and Brian Rouse from Grand Prize all kind of teamed up to, to bring that thing to life. And then they all opened concepts on the 300 block of Maine. It was like a real investment in this historic uh, stretch of downtown and it worked, you know, they became, they all became a destination anchored by Okra. And so, I don't know, it, it feels like maybe the end of an era or at least the passing of a torch or, or, you know, pick your cliche.
1: Well I think certainly Okra worked and uh I I believe if my memory's correct the uh the amount that they donated to charity was north of 1 million dollars which is really impressive. I mean
0: yes. 1.3 million dollars contributed to local nonprofits since it opened its doors at the, in December of 2012.
1: Hats off to them. You know, and and a little bit uh like we were just talking about the uh airline market you know the times change and uh things come to an end and they had a great run and a lot of respect for what they did and um we'll uh we'll see what uh charity saloon 2.0 is
0: right And, and i mean we should say you know mary ellen has been the gm for something like the last eight years anyone who goes there will will recognize her she's the a tall woman who's usually wearing rain boots. Uh, she told me that's uh, a tip she picked up from, from our own uh, beloved friend, Linda Salinas right away to keep your feet dry when you're uh, shaking cocktails and handling a bunch of eyes. So, and she, you know, so she understands kind of what the bar is capable of. She's got a vision for what she wants it to be. And she will continue to donate some portion of the proceeds to charity. Exactly you know, what that will be. And, you know, cause she's got to make a living too and all that, but uh, that is, uh, that is the goal.
1: Yeah. Like all the above. I mean, if you're taking um, fashion advice from Kay Linda, you're, you're already <laughs> steps ahead of the game.
0: <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and, you know, the one thing about Okra is like once a charity won the monthly uh, vote to be selected to receive money, it was ineligible to receive it again. So this kind of resets all that. Uh, Mary Ellen can pick the charity she wants to work with, you know, the people that she really enjoyed or, or maybe that are more deserving now, you know, of, of another shot. So uh, I like that aspect of it too.
1: Yeah. A, a lot to like and uh, a little bit of TBD, but not too not too much
0: no yeah a little bit of right like we don't know what its name is going to be we don't know the percentages and all that but uh but that she's keeping that aspect i think is really important and yeah like you said we'll see we'll see how it all shakes out but i am feeling optimistic two thumbs up all right matt that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around Matt, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Canal Sushi. This is Chef Mike Lim of Tobio's new home in Midtown. Let me just uh, let me just throw it to you. What uh, what were your sort of initial impressions of Canal? Uh,
1: nice, uh, clean, light space. Nice aesthetic. Well designed. Open kitchen, um, good feel, comfortable. Yeah, tall
0: ceilings, uh, kind of bright, open. You know, tall windows. It's in the first floor of a luxury high rise, so it's got that kind of very, got a kind of an elevated aesthetic to it. Um, you know, like a little, like a what, like a six seat sushi counter, a uh, little bar by the entrance. Uh, pretty. Right? I guess that, that's the word that sort of comes to
1: mind. Uh, well done is the word for me. Very good. All
0: right. And then we had a whole bunch of different dishes. What stood out for you?
1: Um, I, one, two, and three would be the uh, Wagyu flight that we had.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. hard
0: Hard not to enjoy... Expertly seared Japanese beef, and I know it sounds ridiculous when I say this, at a very reasonable twenty-two dollars an ounce.
1: It, it was outstanding. I will. It's it's been a week or so now, and I literally have thought about it every day.
0: And and we should we should clarify for people who maybe haven't uh, heard you on the show before. Pre-pandemic, you were visiting Japan on a regular basis. You, you have a deep appreciation uh, for Wagyu beef and its uh, various techniques of preparation. This was, this was very carefully cooked, like very properly medium rare, you know, nicely seared, not overdone, nicely seasoned. I mean, just a, a very well-executed preparation.
1: As tasty as it was, the appreciation for the product and preparation was by far what I appreciated the most.
0: Absolutely. Uh, You a couple other things that, that I really enjoyed that we had was the, uh, the Venus, which is a, a a cold item. That's one of their signature dishes, thinly sized scallop topped with sea urchin and salmon roe. Uh, Just a really beautiful dish with the Yuzu aioli and the chive oil on the plate and the, the uni and the, uh, in the row on top of the, the, uh, scallop.
1: And, and, and as most dishes were, I mean, they, they were, uh, very appealing to the eye. Um, I thought the quality of the fish was also excellent. And, uh, I think they'll only get better with some small execution issues for me here and there, uh, very minor in the grand scheme of things. Um, just, just, uh, really uh if you haven't been you know it's in midtown it's it's a really nice addition to the uh sushi scene yeah i mean
0: you know just to be specific one thing is i ordered a flight of five pieces of nigiri which were very flavorful very artfully presented but when i went to pick them up with my chopsticks the rice fell apart you know that's not fatal Right. All it meant was that I picked it up with my fingers and ate them that way. But, you know, just as as they kind of get their sea legs under them and kind of round into form, you know, you'd like to see the rice hold together at least long enough to, to pick it up and eat it.
1: Or, as I might say, just pick it up with your fingers to begin with.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, one other dish I just wanted to to talk about uh, very briefly was the uni toast. Um, you know, uh, brioche. Fried in Wagyu fat, uh, topped with uh, Wagyu soy soy butter and sea urchin and shaved black truffle. Uh, Very decadent, very luxurious, very delicious. Um, Obviously not a dish, you know, a dish that that we've seen around, maybe some other places certainly uh, was popularized in California, but um, I think that kind of speaks to the, kind of what they're going for here it's um it's it's all very carefully prepared it's all um very artfully presented and it's all very flavorful
1: yeah i think so and it's a good mix of both uh sushi type dishes and also more of the fusion type dishes and there, there are some really interesting combinations, uh, interesting flavor profiles. So um, uh, I, I would not say it's inexpensive, but at the same time, I felt like it was good value. Um, particularly, we may have talked about the Wagyu. I'm not sure. Um, the uh, uh, Really, just, just a really nice, nice evening. No, absolutely.
0: So, so just uh, you'll go back.
1: Oh, I, I absolutely will go back. I, if if I don't go back in the next week for that wagyu, I I will really start to question who I am as a person. <laughs> well, we would not
0: want that. We wouldn't want that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, right. no, they, it, and and we'll look forward to it. Absolutely,
0: uh, no, and I and I agree with you. I mean, you know, no lack of high quality sushi options. I mean even for people who live in Midtown it's not that far to drive to Uchi or or in the museum district to MF but but certainly if you if you live in Midtown or or Edo East End 3rd Ward Downtown you know this is kind of your high end sushi spot now. This is this is available to you. Um, again it's it's a it's a kind of elegant room, you know, creative platings, nice Nice flavor combinations, good textures, just a, a very satisfying meal, and, and I will definitely go back.
1: Sure, it, and along those same lines, just if you're looking for something out of outside your rotation, right? Right, there mix it go. up a little bit, get out there, have fun. Checks all the boxes.
0: All right, Matt, that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. I will be right back with Michael Neff.
1: Although, I will say, CBS didn't really have to tell us that he was the owner of a bar called The
2: Cottonmouth Club. Given that hat, there were really only three options there. Bar owner, scar band hype man, and space mechanic. That's it. And while I do take his larger point that it is shitty to make bar and restaurant employees responsible for enforcing public safety, I'm guessing that he personally has the confidence to do that, given that he chose to go on CBS this morning in the full Pharrell.
0: I am joined this week by the owner of The Cottonmouth Club, downtown we follow him on instagram at cocktail whisperer michael neff welcome back to the show how are you thank you so much for having me i'm great thanks for doing this uh, you're pandemic good right like it's all it's all sort of it's all sort of qualified nobody's, nobody's- it's always
2: it's right it's always the caveat where every, everything is like good but or good and fine <laughs> as good as can be expected right so i I have a few different topics
0: I want to cover with you, which is why you're here, but we have to start with John Oliver, your, uh, incidental appearance on, uh, last week, tonight, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he, he, he aired a clip of you, uh, doing an interview on CBS. He agreed with your analysis, uh, but he, he, uh, had a little fun with your appearance He said that you look like you could only be one of three things, a bar owner, a ska band hype man or a space mechanic. Let me just ask you, like, how many people in your life did you hear from about your appearance
2: on last week tonight? Uh, A lot, a lot. And immediately, I mean, you know, that was it was a very serious thing I was talking about. And obviously I wasn't talking to him. I was talking to a reporter from CBS. And so the important story is that, you know, CBS This Morning aired it and regular people all over the country got to hear the message. It was a nice kind of, you know, icing on the cake that uh, John Oliver gave me funny nicknames, which is really when I found out that he was going to he was going to aggregate that clip. That's really all I want. I'm like, say something funny about me. And that was great. But it was a very serious issue. And, and I'm glad that he uh, he put it out and highlighted and agreed with it. Too. But yeah, Space Mechanic, for sure uh, Full Pharrell has become At least a, a small thing But, uh, you know, I, I you can you can Compare me to handsome and talented men Like Pharrell all day long, and I'm certainly Not going to be offended by it <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I, Full Pharrell should basically Be in your uh, Every social media bio Instagram, Twitter Clubhouse, like Every platform that you're on Right, the quote, the Full Pharrell You know John Oliver. Like, I, I think I would,
2: I would embrace that forever. Well, and the funny thing is a couple of people have reached out to see if I can put them in touch with John Oliver. And I just had to reiterate, like I've never met him. We didn't speak. Yeah. I wasn't on the show. Right. No, uh, he just
0: aggregated a
2: clip that his production team found and
0: then riffed on it basically.
2: Right. Well, we were talking about Texas and, you know, we're talking about Texas and bars. So, you know, like I said, it was, The the issue itself is very much not funny, but uh, if he can, you know, if he can deal with it seriously and still uh, and, and I still, you know, get to be roasted, then, you know, that's the best the best outcome. Yeah. So let's talk about bars because
0: bars in Harris County have been shut down functionally for a year and they were only allowed to reopen last week when the governor lifted capacity restrictions and the mask requirement a lot of bars converted to technically be restaurants in the eyes of the TABC. Correct. You did not make that decision uh, for the Cottonmouth Club. Kind of why, why not? And, and how do you sort of balance like, well, I've got to make money with, Hey, we're not, we're not a
2: restaurant. Like we just aren't. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a philosophical question for me. You know, whether whether it's better in some sense or safer to be a restaurant or a bar. I mean, I thought that that whole thing was another another very expensive pivot that people could choose to make to try to earn their self or like earn their way out of this mess. And, you know, it was a lifeline for a lot of places, for sure but it wasn't free it did cost money to convert and money that a lot of places were either trying to save to be able to stretch out to survive or they didn't have they had to borrow or you know for something that may or may not work right we weren't restaurants and you know functionally bars in Harris County have been closed but practically a lot of places have been open and in some cases fully open right so balancing the idea of safety with the idea of survival has been where we've been at this entire pandemic and specifically with the cottonmouth club you know i the geometry of the place just doesn't work there's too many places in houston specifically that have big outdoor spaces right that have places that that are that are that are wider not long like ours you know that that people could in theory get together and have distance and still like make it worthwhile so it's just there's There's very little in this pandemic that a a long narrow bar like the Cottonmouth Club can do to make it both worthwhile number of people wise. So from a business perspective, be able to make enough money to justify opening and also be safe enough that, you know, we don't feel like we're getting ourselves uh, sick or putting ourselves in danger and certainly not putting our clientele in danger. So, you know, it's always every day is a heartbreaking day. Every day I'm not open is a day where we're more at risk as a business and as like an institution, but I would never. And, you know, and this is also true from the beginning and one, one person's life isn't worth my reopening, you know, and, and, you know, we always have to deal with a certain amount of risk and that's just the nature of the business, but doing it on purpose just didn't, just never made sense to me.
0: Well, and I, I mean, I know that there was that like very brief period in June when bars were allowed to reopen and what you discovered could, you know, I listened to your, your own podcast, uh, the Cottonmouth Club presents. You said that the customers you were seeing were like, not the people that you, the people who cared the least about following the rules and, and maintaining protocols to
2: protect your employees. Yeah. And I mean, think about those, you know, Alcyon days, In- that was what April, May of 2020, you know, the numbers, even just the number of cases, the number of people who died from COVID right now were so much smaller than they were now. And even then the risk was apparent. And, you know, the customers who came to see us, you know, our clientele is is wonderful and they're very supportive. And for the most part, everyone, you know, we didn't, we didn't have people screaming at us. People would definitely say, Oh, if we have to wear a mask in here, we'll wear a mask. The problem was if another place down the road, said, you don't have to wear a mask or didn't enforce that, then a lot of people just didn't do it. So, you know, we had to look at a situation where it's not just how people are acting when they're here, it's how they're acting when they're everywhere. And right around that time is when so many people in the bar business started getting sick. So before we reopened last year, You know, you know, I've talked to bartenders all over the place and a lot of bartenders were saying things like, oh, I don't know anyone who has COVID or I don't know. You know, it just it it, it was those early days when people were looking for direct examples in their lives. and They didn't have them. After we reopened, after the governor actually reopened us uh, the same way he did before, just dropped it on us and said, hey, guess what? You can do this. Um, You know, after that, I don't know anyone who didn't know someone who at least had gotten COVID, had gotten really sick and in some cases died. So. You know, it, it both went through the population in Houston, but closer to my heart, it went through my core group of people, my community. So bartenders, people who work in hospitality, people who had to be out and had to be around a bunch of people who felt like it was optional to keep other people safe. And that's the part that just, you know, I couldn't quite justify because If my safety is in your hands and your safety is in my hands, and that's a contract that we kind of have to have in order for us to proceed. If I'm doing my part and you're not doing your part, then, you know, one of us suffers and it's not you it's, it's, you know, it's, it's us, you know, the, the, you know, from the, from, from the business side, you know, we, we had to obviously balance the survival of us, From the business side we had to balance the survival of our business, but, from the personal side, we also were thinking about our health, the fa- health of our family. You know, people were in contact in other aspects of our lives. And, you know, we had, we had someone get sick when that happened last time. And that was just, that was way too close to home.
0: Right. So, so what have you been doing? I mean, obviously you started the podcast. You've been very active on social media as like an advocate for bars in general and encouraging people to get involved, but, but maybe elaborate on kind of the things you've been doing why you've been closed to try to call attention to the situation?
2: Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great people all around the country who are doing a lot of great work, you know, just collecting examples of different cities specifically where people are having an impact because, you know, Eric, honestly, what, what, most of what we asked for, and you can, you can go back, you know, maybe six months ago when we did a big push as a bar community in Houston specifically, but Texas generally, so the Texas Neighborhood Bar Coalition, the entire purpose of that was to gather all kinds of bars. And, and we did, I mean, and this, this was mostly the work of Lindsay Ray. You know, I was, I was, you know, tangentially involved, but, you know, to try to get everyone speaking with the same voice and talking to the governor, talking to the mayor, because what we wanted, especially after that time when we opened, we wanted to be able to take the lessons we learned to create a rational plan to be able to reopen that's safe and effective, that works, And all we wanted was for people who make policy to engage with us as a business, and they were just—I mean, they—they were just way too afraid to do it. No one would talk to us. And this is Sylvester Turner. This is Greg Abbott. This is everyone across the board. We, as a community, approached our policymakers as a group and said, "All you guys talk about is bars." And you talk about them in bad ways and good ways. The good way is you want to show people that things are normal. So, hey, guess what, everybody? Bars are open. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going back to regular life. And then on the flip side, saying bars are terrible. This is where you get COVID. And drunk people can't control themselves. And so either way, they wanted to talk about us, but they never wanted to talk to us. And as far as I know, and this is true in a lot of places in the country, but certainly in Texas, they're still too afraid to talk to us. Because if you're going to regulate an industry that has so... Big an effect on uh, that has such a big effect on on public safety, and you don't engage with that industry, then I don't know how you're going to have a rational plan to be able to have people go back safely. Like imagine imagine making rules for airlines when you don't talk to the air, airline industry. Imagine making safety rules for you know nuclear power if you don't talk to someone in the nuclear power industry. Like it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, and there's such a huge, I mean, the word bar. Covers everything from like your little intimate fifty seat shotgun hangout,
2: right, neighborhood cocktail bar to you know a nightclub, play, to, right,
0: right, to a you know right. five hundred people packed in the spire for DJ night or whatever. So it's they're not they're
2: not equivalent spaces at all. No, and they shouldn't have equivalent enforcement, and they shouldn't have equivalent rules. You know, and this is why the restaurant cosplay thing that we tried just didn't make any sense to me because, you know, you can't instead of making rational rules for, say, a pub as opposed to a restaurant and making them and looking at them and making them different. What they did instead was just say, like, why don't we just call all of you restaurants because food somehow magically will make people safer. And it's, it, you know, especially in retrospect, I, can, I, I think we can all agree that it didn't work out that way. You know, we we as a community will come back. We as a city will be able to go back to commerce in a regular way somehow, but it has nothing to do with work that our our policymakers did to make that happen in a way that wasn't gonna happen anyway. So, you know, what did we in what, what did we do specifically to get enough people vaccinated to be able to go out and enjoy bars and restaurants again? You know, Abbott's Abbott's just caveat like his Abbott's uh, uh, just what do you call it? His his decision by fiat, right? His his just his decision based right. basically executive just saying, order, I think is the right. legal term. Right. No masks and no no restriction. It went it went from you know 20 20 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour, and it's just not it doesn't make any sense because it put all of the responsibility for enforcement, for decisions about how you know for for optics, like all of those things, it put them all on individual restaurants and bars. And there are tons of examples already of of businesses who are choosing to be safe facing really, really severe backlash and sometimes physical, you know, harm and danger because there's plenty of responsible businesses in bars and restaurants in Houston that said, I don't care what Abbott says, you have to wear a mask here. And that sparks some people to say, you know, governor said, I don't have to, why are you saying I have to? And that sucks. Yeah, I mean, I
0: mean, we all watched that viral video of that woman at the bank in Galveston getting arrested. And, and that's not even that doesn't even add the mix of alcohol to the equation. I mean, she was ostensibly sober and just didn't want to listen to a police officer. Never mind. Never mind a bartender.
2: Right. And also before even before the mask mandate was lifted. You know, you have a place which is, you know, like Grand Prize, which was incredibly responsible through the entire pandemic. That did decide that to to be to open in a way that they considered to be rational and safe. Before the mass mandate was lifted, there was at least one bartender who was hit in the face with a glass by a customer because he asked him to wear a mask. If it becomes an optional and uh, a, a kind of a personality defining choice, then. If people feel like it's optional, then there are going to be people who are going to push back on it. That's the part that we were so uh, angry about is not that, not that he said, not that he said that places could be open, not that he said we could be open without restriction. It's that he said safety is everybody's opinion, right? Imagine if you, imagine if you could have an opinion about your ability to drive drunk. I'm a better, I'm a better driver when I'm drunk. So I get why all these other people have to do it, but I'm fine. You know, everyone thinks that they're, you know, they're the best example of whatever the thing is. And that, and that's we as bars never have that choice. You could say my kid, my 18 year old's responsible and I let him drink. So he should be able to come into your place. I'm like, that's not the law. I'm sorry. And they can't come in.
0: Right. Or even, even like seatbelt wearing. Right. I mean, that's not a, that that's like a victimless Crime, right? I mean, you only hurt yourself, Mm -hmm. but we still don't let you drive around without a seatbelt on.
2: Well, and until it's not, until you get hit by somebody else in a rational accident, and then somebody dies, and then, you know, even if you're the one who dies, other people still deal with the consequences of that. So, what
0: are the circumstances under which you think you'll be ready to reopen the Cottonmouth Club?
2: I think, you know, the 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 pace at which the vaccine is rolling out is hopeful to me, and I think across the board, when we have enough, you know, I, you know, people talk about percentages, I'm not a public, you know, I'm not a public health professional, I follow the guidelines of the CDC, I listen to them. And if they say this is what we should do, then this is generally what I do. So when anecdotally, at least more people are vaccinated, and more people are kind of uh, able to gather in larger groups, then I will be able to look at at least the geometry of my space, and say, okay, I can I, I can work this out, because it's not just like can I keep them safe, but if I if if I can only safely open with fifteen people per hour, it doesn't, you know, we like every other business like us has have been without revenue for so long. If you're gonna trickle in a few hundred dollars a night, it's not like you know, it's not like it's not like your personal finances. A business is different, so in some cases it's worse to have a small amount of money coming in because it activates so many other circumstances as far as things that you have to pay then if you were just like okay i'm closed here's why we all have to deal with it you know i can't i can't exist as a business on what i would get from 15 people per hour unless i was constantly full of 15 people drinking exactly two cocktails each as quickly as they could leaving and being replaced immediately by 15 more people. And that's just not how it works.
0: <laughs> right, right. Or, or everybody's ordering, uh, you know, McAllen 18 or something, right?
2: like uh, Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and also, you know, it's, it's also no fun. Right. When we opened before, people were great. People were supportive. They came in. We had everything all spread out and people came in on reservation like we did the whole thing. But, you know, we'd have someone come in sitting by himself in the corner, you know, because they want to drink the cocktails. And, you know, I'm here to support you and I'm here to, you know, put some money in the till. And that's great. But I can't sit and hang out with you. You can't go and talk to a stranger. So literally you're sitting like, you know, in a in a chair by yourself, just so you don't have to do that at home. And after a while, you're like, okay, I appreciate that everyone came in to do it, but what I'm actually delivering and what I'm, what I'm not delivering what you're paying to go to a bar for. I'm not, I'm not delivering any version of, you know, I'm having a great time, any version of, I feel like I'm closer to people. I don't, you know, it's, 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 you know, and that that was, there was different days, obviously, but, you know, I think about that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't just sell cocktails, you know, we sell, we sell feelings. And if I can't provide those feelings, even if it's just me as a bartender, just a stranger sitting across from you saying, Hey, Eric, nice to meet you. Like, how's your day going? You know, if, if I have to yell that from across the room, it just doesn't have the same effect.
0: Right. No, I, I had that thought. I went to Anvil with a friend a few weeks ago and it was really nice to sit in Anvil. I, I really like that space. Yeah. You know, one of the best bar staffs at Houston Cocktails were delicious. but One of the things I really like about going to Anvil is sitting across the bar and bullshitting with the bartender about, oh, what's this new cocktail on the menu? Or I've never seen that thing on the back bar before. Tell me about it. And you can't do any of that shit right now. Like you just that that is just not a thing. And it's one of the things that I personally really love about going to bars and it just doesn't exist right now. And until, and, and I'll be so
2: excited when I can do that again. Yeah. And also I think it kind of, because, and and this is one of the things that the pandemic has, has taught us. And I think it has revealed it to a bunch of regular people who wouldn't have thought about this perspective. And even though weirdos like me who are in this business and think about it a lot um, have known it for a while, you know, we sell, we sell something that is different than just what you buy that goes in a glass. Right. And, you know, that, that experience of sitting at Anvil and having that conversation, whether it's about booze or it's about, you know, some movie you saw is so essential to what it is the bars provide. So, you know, people could drink already. They could drink at home. We did cocktail classes. We showed them how to, we showed them all of our tricks we showed them all of our tricks in the last twelve months. We we went and you online. Sold them the syrups and the bitters. Absolutely, one hundred percent. We told you we, you you can do this at home. You can have that experience at home, and you know. So people, you know, the, that's that's great. You know, more people have drank cocktails now probably than ever. You know, in I don't know about human history, but certainly in a long time there's still a value to having them in a bar, but it's all about that interstitial space between the bartender, the guest and the experience of drinking with other people in public in the presence of rhythm. Like it's a very, very human thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's without all of those things together, then, you know, all I'm doing is selling you an old fashioned that you're going to put in a plastic container and take home and then put on ice. And it's just not, you know, it's not the same. And so, if I can't, if I can't sell the experience that I'm best at, you know, that I've literally created this bar to deliver, then yes, I will pivot and yes, I will try to, you know, find some way to survive in the meantime. But if I can't sell that experience and make enough money to be able to make sense as a business, then it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't, um, it, it almost hurts instead of helps because then you know, you're, you're just, people are just checking off a box. I had a, you know, I had this guy's cocktail at this place, I had this lady's cocktail at this, this other place. And then you're just going on some kind of crawl just for a taste and flavor experience, which is part of it, but you're missing on all the other stuff. You know, the thing that makes me hopeful is that as more people participate in vaccinations as more people are rational about how they go out and responsible about how they treat bar staffs etc the more likely it is that we can have larger gatherings that are safe that we can go back to sitting at a bar and not feeling irresponsible and then we can go back to delivering that experience like i'm cool with the mask if you're the, if you're at the bar with the mask and i'm at the bar with the mask we're, we're still good but if i can't have you at the bar. Or if I'm behind plexiglass or something, then, you know, then I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm knocking out cocktails and you're bringing in your own fun. And that's not worth 15 bucks for a cocktail. It's just not right.
0: Right. I I mean, I've heard the phrase thrown around a couple of times, roaring twenties, right. That, that maybe this summer, or maybe even, you know, sometime, sometime this summer, maybe this fall, like enough people will be vaccinated. will have reached some sort of critical mass. And everybody's going to want to go out. And I'm already like seeing just a little bit of it with people I know that are older, that are, you know, we're one B they've already gotten both shots. Like they're going out to dinner like three times a week right now, because that was the generation that like, listened to their kids and stayed home. Like for right. the sake of living to see their grandchildren, like graduate high right. school and stuff like that. And like, they're fully vaccinated and they've, cooped up for a year and they're going out
2: yeah and we need their support and 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 you know and we need that to be able to get back to any any kind of long-term success as far as a business community but you know the the 1918 pandemic people didn't have the internet you know they didn't have telephones you know their isolation was very very different than our isolation so maybe there'll be some roaring 20s thing i don't i don't uh see it myself that said I think going into the next traditionally big season so traditionally like uh, like autumn autumn to new year's right so let's say Halloween to new year's that's like high time for your bars and restaurants that's when people have lots of reasons to gather everyone's feeling you know celebratory it's getting a little colder out so people are coming back indoors you know that's you know that's that's you know money-making season for a bar for sure I think that if things keep going the way they're going this year's holiday season will be through the roof. You know, I think everyone will be like expending all that pent up energy they had and expending all that kind of pent up loneliness they had and going out to try to, you know, celebrate. <sighs> Cause we missed it so much last year, you know, whether that's going to be some kind of roaring twenties thing, I don't know but I think it also pays to remember the roaring twenties preceded both world war II and the great depression. So I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe maybe don't embrace that term so fast. Right. Right. I mean, on a, on
0: a more kind of local level, we saw a little dipper just installed their uh, more streets, patio taking advantage of this new program that allows bars and restaurants on main street to claim some of the sidewalk. Do you think you'll do that
2: to give yourself some outdoor seating? If I could, I mean, you know, we're, we're, there's been specific discussion about our block. We're on the 100 block. So we're right, right, you know, just, just south of Buffalo Bayou. I I say that we're the first bar on Main Street because technically we're the, you know, it goes, it goes the other direction. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, for example, our, our curbs are much, much higher. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, the curbs right in front of the cotton mouth are, you know, probably three times the size they are on, uh, you know, on the 300 block where Dipper is. I mean, I, I love the idea. It, 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 you know, there was, there was a lot of work done by the downtown district, a lot of thought put into it, especially because the train runs right there. So they thought about safety. They thought about access. They thought about all those things. Um, I would, you know, I would love to do that. I've always wished that I could have this huge outdoor space because, you know, Houston has that kind of weather where, If you don't have that, then, you know, people, as much as they like you, don't think about you in the summer because they're like, Hey, it's hot. It's nice outside. I want to be outside. So, you know, it's great to be able to enjoy, you know, being outside. Um, So yeah, if we, if we can participate in that, we actually, we absolutely would. I love the idea that, that downtown on main street could be this big outdoor walking kind of bar crawl experience. You know, we, we, and by we, I mean, you know, a lot of the bars and restaurants on Maine have, you know, tried to find versions of that over the course of the three years I've been doing this in Houston. Right. Um, You know, to have that be official is, is, is great because it, it creates a destiny that it creates a destination for Houstonians to be able to come and say, we don't want just one place downtown. We want to go all the places downtown. You know, my concern about downtown in general is that the business, the, the, people showing up to work downtown is still going to be a while coming back to. So, you know, that happy hour time, those, those nights that aren't Friday and Saturday night, when people traditionally go out, like we're going to have to work really hard to give people a reason to come downtown park and then be able to walk and crawl to different experiences on Maine. Like we, we have to coordinate to be able to create that district because You know, we kind of were a district, but we kind of weren't. And the more we work together to kind of provide things like, you know, I think live music should be, I think, I think live music scene in downtown should be focused in Houston should be focused on downtown, because, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of places you can go to have a variety of experiences and walk in Houston. I can Uber one place, I can go to three different, you know, I can go to dinner and two different bars, see a couple of bands and then Uber home like downtown should be doing that for Houstonians. And that's what I hope it, it kind of grows into after the pandemic.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And there, there are some reasons for optimism. I mean, we talked earlier on the show, Okra is reopening probably. And in, I just,
2: May. I just saw the news. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and I there's some other stuff I haven't talked about on the show, but McIntyre's is opening downtown where spaghetti where right. used to be. Um, my understanding is high and dry is taking the, uh, what I still think of is the moving sidewalk space. I mean, I know Cantina, the Cantina Barba folks had it for a right. little bit, but so there's some, there's stuff, right. There's, there's a maybe a sense that the downtown is kind of ready to make its comeback. The, you know, people will be able to go to Astros games this season, which will help, you know, that's 80 home games for a season or whatever. So.
2: Well, and there's hotels um, and they'll start to fill up again. There's conventions, obviously, like all of that was kind of bread and butter for those of us downtown. But, you know, it's, it's a different way to operate if you're there for a regular clientele than if you're there for destination people. And, you know, that will affect days of the week when people are open, hours of operation, et cetera. So the, a lot of the base for a lot of businesses downtown was that, that kind of work crowd. So as that comes back and we have Astros games and, you know, we can go see basketball and, you know, Travis Scott can play at NRG or whatever, you know, we'll start to see everything, everything kind of redefine itself. You know, I I mean, my hope too, is that, you know, downtown had a very specific identity, but it was identity that was kind of, it was, it was separated by, you know, almost the 500 block downtown. So, So north of the 500 block were, you know, kind of small independent businesses and, you know, south of there and towards the stadiums, you'd have more kind of chain and corporate places. The hotels themselves weren't great at saying, at at directing tourists. You know, for me, when I go to a city, I want to see the city. I want to see the people who live there. I want to see the businesses they opened. I want to hang out in the bars where the locals are. And downtown had a great sector that was that. It's just, you know, I, you know, working with the concierge was something we were starting to do right before the pandemic of telling them, you know, there's a different, like, there's a great coffee shop right down the street. So when people say, I want a cup of coffee, don't send them to Starbucks, you know, Starbucks is a block one way, you know, the, you know, the local place is a block the other way. I was like, you know, do you know that it's there and why not send people to have coffee in a place that affects that, that gives them an experience of what, Houston specifically is instead of saying Starbucks is easy I know exactly where that is and just walk down the street and you'll be able to get coffee there.
0: Right. And even when they say hey where's a Starbucks say well you know we have a great local place that I think you'll really love like be an advocate.
2: Right. You know, and I don't think that they didn't didn't want to be advocates necessarily but you know downtown was such that <laughs> You know, it it was a growing district, but in people's minds, especially people who grew up in Houston, they have three or four different versions of what it is, depending on how old they are, you know, and some of it was kind of, you know, nightclubby and edgy and some of it was kind of barren. And, you know, when they were building the light rail going through there and then, you know, it's changed, it's changed and it changed so much and it was a really exciting place to be. Right before the pandemic. And then as soon as we shut down for the pandemic, it felt like it felt like a zombie apocalypse. Like it was downtown was was terrifying just because you right. felt you felt like there was like Clint Eastwood wind just kind of going through. And it was yeah. just it, it was and it really kind of highlighted the fact that this is like, you know, it it's really depends on on people using downtown as a destination or a place they go to work. Is there anything else you want to discuss before we wrap this up? I mean, I have so I, I I have so many things these days. Honestly, like if you want to talk about, if you know, if you want to talk about specific things that are are, I mean, I the governor thing is is made me really mad, you know, and I and I and it's it's a it's a divisive issue because there's some people that are really happy about it. There's some businesses that are really happy about it. I I got an airplane going by. Um, I I don't want that. I don't want that to, to, you know, to be the theme of the conversation and necessarily or anything, but when thinking about Texas right now makes me think about the safety of bartenders, waiters, hosts, you know, people who have to, people who have to interact directly with the kind of clientele who may or may not accept their authority and accept their decision to, you know, have, have, uh, have their staff be as safe as possible. Like it's a, it's a, it's a very real thing for me.
0: Well, I said this on the show last week, if, if we had done things slightly differently, if he had said, all right, you can open at up to a hundred percent capacity, restaurant workers, you're, you're officially in one C, right? You can all, you're all eligible for the vaccine starting now and then four weeks, six weeks, whatever, then we can lift the mask mandate knowing that restaurant workers will have had the opportunity to get a vaccine. I'd feel a little better about that, knowing that at least people would have had the opportunity
2: to be personally protected. Well, and also it was completely performative politics. And you could see it in how he announced it to say, by the way, no more masks. Like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to tell people that personal safety equipment is not necessary. I'm taking away your, your feeling that it's necessary. And you know, obviously a certain percentage of the population is gonna jump on that and say, see. And, and, and then even more than it was before, me working in the public wearing a mask is a statement that people can immediately see and be like, oh, you're one of those people. And, you know, we're, we're being targeted, you know, the, and, and it's not, you know, it's not just bars for sure. And it's not just restaurants, but bars and restaurants are, have been in the crosshairs because of the fact this pandemic was specifically designed to, uh, to put us right in the middle of everybody's conversations. Right. Right. That, you know, and, and you always hear
0: people talking about, oh, well, grocery stores and target and it's like well but you don't take your mask off in the grocery store right you don't need to (laughs) right right it's not an essential component of shopping it is an essential component of eating and drinking so right it's, it's just a whole different environment but yes i you know i i agree with you um and i but i i do i am starting to feel slightly more optimistic just just colloquially knowing more of my friends are getting vaccinated and that I, I've been, you know, I follow a bunch of industry people on Instagram, everybody's posting their vaccine cards. It's like, all right, we we may, we may finally have
2: made it through all this. Yeah. And I mean, and there's a, there's a certain amount of, of, you know, and and this is a a business by business uh, kind of situation, but there's a certain amount of shout out that needs to go to, the landlords in a lot of places in the city of houston and and i know a lot of people have horror stories and a lot of people have been treated very unfairly but there are probably more and you don't hear about them of you know i we 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 still exist because of the patience and the generosity of our landlord which is the zimmermans you know and and a lot of places were able to hold on because we were able to kind of either negotiate or just kind of like you know uh all collectively understand that this is something that we all kind of had to work on together. So, you know, we, we, we get a lot of the, we get a lot of the, the credit for kind of like hanging on and doing what we needed to do to survive. But, you know, in a lot of ways we couldn't have done that if we, because, you know, they, they, in a lot of cases they, there's no mandate to, you know, keep, you know, you can get, you, maybe, maybe you can't get kicked out of your apartment, but you certainly can get kicked out of your business. So right. You know, as we as we kind of create, as we create new environments, and we look at how we're going to rebuild this kind of nightlife aspect of what the you know economic health of a city is, and certainly the city of Houston, approaching and involving landlords, approaching and involving the bars and restaurants, and having them interact with the mayor and the mayor's office and the city council, and you know, and and all the you know county commissions and the governor. Like I think that's critical. And it's not going to happen unless people insist that, that it happened. Like we, we have, we have to make them talk to us. Right. And it, I mean, I don't, I don't know.
0: I have no head for power. I have no idea how you make them do that, but I feel like I do.
2: Gonna, yeah. write write Letters, you know, I mean, or support, support people's efforts. You right. know, the reason why they won't talk to us is because they're so afraid. They're so afraid to admit that bars are essential to the economy and essential to communities in the city. They're terrified of that. It's easy to say school. It's easy to say church, but nobody wants to say bar because there's going to be a certain small but loud percentage of the population that says, how dare you equate a bar and a church? I'm like, I will do that all day long and you know, I'll do it and I'll do it with a priest right next to me. And most likely that person will agree with me, but an, <laughs> this might, it might be a bridge too far, <laughs> but, it's, but, but, but you you understand the issue, right? Right. Uh,
0: you know, for, well, yeah, no, I, I do. It's in a, it, it's a different sort of spirituality or form of connection, but it is an essential gathering place for people.
2: Well, and community is community. And, yeah. you know, we are, we, we have our version of that too. And it's just as strong as other people. All right, Michael Neff, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, Eric Sandler, I appreciate you. I love being on your show, and I'm, uh, I'm always happy when you call, and I'm always happy to come on. All right, well, plug your Instagram, plug your podcast, plug your Clubhouse, plug all that stuff. We have a very exciting podcast that, that uh, you know, it, it talks a lot about, uh, you know, bars and cocktails and talks. We talk to some of the best bartenders in the world. Um, and we also have a whole uh, series on spirits. And a lot of these issues kind of we, we hash out in this form. Uh, you can find that it's called the Cottonmouth Club Presents. So, you know, if you have the if you think we're hometown and you have hometown pride, that's kind of growing in the community around the country. So people can find that at the CottonmouthClubPresents.com. You can also find me on Instagram at uh, Cocktail Whisper. Last time we spoke, I was very, very not participating in social media, and now that's pretty much all I do. So yeah, I'm I'm very available, and people could find me all over the place.
0: Yeah, and you're on and you're on Clubhouse, the new
2: audio only uh, social media platform. I, I am on Clubhouse. Yeah, leading and conversations you, you, and. Yeah. So we, we actually have a, a club of our own. It's called on the bar. Um, and I'm working with, uh, you know, I like that you guys are doing uh, uh, talking about uh, Houston stuff specifically. So I'll participate in that whenever possible, but we, you know, we, we clubhouse is, a, is, is I think a, is an increasingly important outlet for conversation with people around the country. And really that's what we need is we need to look at, we need to look at, lessons that we can learn and show people what we've done too. And then, you know, maybe we can all muddle through this.
0: Yeah. I'm still kind of dipping my toe into it. Still kind of feeling my way, but you know, I'll skip all the rooms of people trying to sell me Bitcoin and just try to find the (laughs) communities that are uh, relevant to me. But yeah, I I think it's, uh, I think it's fun.
2: Wednesday and Saturday, we have standing conversations about kind of bar and cocktail stuff. So you can find it, uh, just, just look for the club on the bar and, and, uh, you'll see the notifications. All right.
0: Michael Neff, thank you so much.
2: I appreciate you, man.
0: You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.